Hello everyone and thanks for joining us on this week's episode of The Imposter, the podcast dedicated to making science more fun and engaging and gosh darn it more enjoyable for you, the listening audience. So today's episode is a bit dated and I apologize for that. I recorded it a few months ago with Ro Allen, who you might remember from episode 2 about marine plastics, and episode 5, which was the group discussion titled is anybody here a marine biologist? And yes, it was Seinfeld. Yeah, I don't. It couldn't be anything else. So why why bother guessing? Whatever. What other reference it is? Don't ask me. Anyway, so Roe is a great guy, very brilliant individual, and I wanted to catch him before he left for his PhD, which is in New Zealand and looks like it's amazing. So yes. Good luck to you, Ro. I hope you're doing great, man. And I'm really happy I got to do this interview with you before you left. Uh, and I'm happy for my sake, but I'm also happy for you, the audience, because Ro, as I said, is a very sharp fellow. So listen up, you're here. It's going to be a fantastical show. Last little bit, don't forget to like and share us on Facebook, on SoundCloud, on iTunes. You tell your friends about us on iTunes now, because we're that cool. Uh, other than that, we will put supporting information up in the next week or so. I'm trying to do the next week so that it is something exciting from the previous week before the new episode comes out. I'm just rambling again. I'm just ram- I'm, I am so sorry. All right, everybody, let's get into it. Episode number seven, Zoos and Aquariums, a discussion with Rowan Amir. We live in an age based on science and technology with formidable technological powers. And if we don't understand it, by we, I mean the general public, if it's something that oh, I'm not good at that, I don't know anything about it, then who is making all the decisions about science and technology that uh, are going to determine what kind of future our children live in? We've really got to start at the earliest levels with having a broader view of what education really can and should be. Because I find that with the young people we have, we are able to motivate them. Science is all around us. It's in us. Knowledge of science is power. It gives you an understanding of the forces of nature. It's not even about how much science you know. It's about how science literates you are. (laughs) Hello everyone and welcome to another fine episode of the Imposter. I'm your host, Amir Fogel, and today, like some other days, we're joined by the one and only Ro Allen, MSC. We can put that behind our names now, by the way. We, we can't. Actually, because MRES. <laughs> oh, so close. And we're off to a blinding start. Anyway, yes. Um, and that also goes out to all the other Masters of Research students and peers of ours that congratulations to you uh, on uh, finishing the masters so didn't get to say that before anyway uh we've gotten some feedback from uh, past episodes and we're gonna try and limit our tangents um (laughs) some viewers have not been uh so happy uh anyway so with that in mind let's jump right into it today's kind of informal dialogue conversation is going to be about a subject that Some people can have very strong feelings about. Um, I know some friends of mine uh, definitely have uh, strong feelings about. 
So today we're going to be talking about zoos and aquariums. Pros and cons, my friend. Uh, and I guess to start us off, I will, I will take us to a pro, which is, is an anecdotal experience, my own, uh, but there is truth to it, and I know I'm not alone in it. Uh, I share it with many, which is that as a kid, going to um, the Baltimore Aquarium, the National Aquarium, I should say, in Baltimore, it is an amazing place, and it was always a, you know, a visit that I welcomed, and I wouldn't credit it with fully immersing myself in marine biology, but it definitely helped me get along that path. Um, and same thing with the National Zoo in D.C. I mean, you know, going there, I loved animals, and that was a great way for me to see animals from around the world. Um, and really got me engaged in learning about ecosystems. So I guess the point is, is the benefit or one benefit to zoos and aquariums is getting young people, and not just young people, but people in general, involved and interested in the animal kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you um, if you're able to go see animals with your own eyes and watch them moving around, um, that forms a connection that you can't that can't manifest necessarily through a television documentary or something else like that. Um, so zoos are really valuable in, in, as you said, creating interest um, in the general public to into these animals. They're also great centers for education. So in almost any zoo you walk around, there'll be um, you know there'll be snippets of information about um, how the animals live in the wild, why they've adapted to look a certain way, how they feed, bits and pieces like that. So, um, you know, just being in a zoo, you're just absorbing this great education about all of the animals that you're seeing. Kick, sorry, not not to interject, but I do have a question for you. You mentioned stuff that you can't get in nature documentaries. Praise be to Sir David Attenborough. I'll just say praise be SDA. I'm going to coin that term. Um, but anyway... Is that really something that you can't get? I mean, you know, you have such amazing, you know, high-quality nature programs at this point. If you're interested in learning about the animal kingdom, what is the difference to going to the zoo? I mean... Yeah, I, I mean, what a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, um, yeah, I no, think... Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on spot. <laughs> I, well, I think, um, you know, when you see an animal face-to-face -face and you can look it in the eye um, and and it's almost interacting with you as animals often do in, in uh, zoos or aquariums I think that I think that's gonna pique your interest in a way that a nature documentary might not necessarily be able to do mm. um, in terms of factual learning I think a nature documentary um, may well be better um, you know because normally it's an hour of someone very experienced narrating um, about the ecology of these animals, which you might not necessarily get in the zoo. Sure. Um, but I think they're both incredibly valuable resources um, for different reasons. Right. So I suppose it's it's the interactiveness that you get from a zoo experience that you can see a behavior up close and you can see how you interact with that behavior of that particular animal. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I think uh, in general, that is one of the huge positive things about zoos that people talk about is is um, they're fantastic educational tools and they can pique interest in the community which can ultimately lead um, to the general public wanting the wild populations of these animals to be protected um, and to persist. I suppose that's part of the reasons why panda, at least, you know, not only are they really hard to get permission to 
to have in a zoo, and there's a select few zoos that have pandas, but, you know, that's why the WWF, the World Wildlife Foundation, has them as their kind of, like, keystone flagship animal. You know, it's because you go to a zoo and you want to see the panda. Like, they are, it's why an anchorman, I would assume, uh, they had the whole, was it a panda? I'm pretty sure it was a panda, yeah? Yeah, like, that's pop culture, you know, and then yeah. interjected into, you know, kind of a, a zoo atmosphere. So it is it is an interesting point, I guess, that... yeah. They do, they do impact the education, and they do touch in multiple parts of society. So um, to that point, I would say it is a benefit, especially when it comes to, and this is an issue close to my heart, but engaging young young people. Um, yeah. And, sorry. I, I, I fully agree. I yeah. totally agree. Yeah, um, yeah and, I, and I guess the other thing is... Uh, on, on the along the lines of education, having these um, animals in captivity in zoos and aquariums, um, it provides a platform for scientific research, and um, and you see this all over the world, especially especially in um, in developed countries where uh, where captive populations are being used for research, which is ultimately having a benefit um, to human knowledge about those animals and probably uh, to the conservation of those animals. We, Amir and I, um, again, we've mentioned before, we were both based down in Plymouth last year, um, where we have the National Marine Aquarium, which is a fantastic aquarium, one of the best in the country. And, uh, and they have a fantastic research program as well. And they do lots and lots and lots of work behind closed doors with loads of interesting animals like jellyfish, Mm -hmm. seahorses is, is one of their huge projects. And, um, and what having these animals in captivity allows you to do is experiment with them um, and learn about them in, in a controlled environment and and basically develop knowledge that you'd be unable to acquire simply by observing them in the, in their natural environments. So, so zoos and aquariums, as well as being great providers of education to, to the general public, um, they're also an incredibly valuable research tool. Agreed. Um, there was one point, sorry, just to go back to the education for one, for one second that uh, I forgot to mention, but I did do some volunteer work at the Maritime Aquarium of Norwalk in Connecticut in the States, back in the States. Um, and they have a great interactive program where um, y- you can dive in the shark tank, um, and that's all volunteer divers. Anybody that's kind of scuba certified can go um, as long as they do the safety training and great people that run it, and it's a great program. Um, but not only are there divers in the tanks, uh, but there's someone outside of the tanks that's explaining what's going on, explaining about the natural environment that these sharks are found in. The open ocean tank is supposed to mimic the kind of the Long Island sound. And it's great because, you know, I, I, w- I kind of have to do both. And so at one point I was one of the people that would be uh, giving the speech or giving the little spiel, whatever it is, to parents and to their little kids. And you get kind of these repeat customers. And... When you have one presentation to, you know, a group of kids about sharks, the next time that kid comes, he knows everything. He's read all the books, he's seen all the shows, like, and he knows facts that, these random facts that you would, like, why would you know that, mm-hmm. you know? And so it just goes to show you that it really does go a long way. And who knows, maybe that kid's going to be, you know, the next Jacques Cousteau. Maybe, you know, he's going to be the next lead shark researcher. He's going to find some profound things. So you never know where that education is going to lead. Um, Sorry, that was yeah. that was the only point I wanted to make. That it really does make a difference, and you can have really good programs um, aside from the scientific aspect, the breeding uh, aspect, the breeding programs, um, and whatnot. But also these interactive programs and touch tanks and stuff like that. Yeah, um, uh, absolutely. I think so, something you just touched on briefly there was uh, was breeding programs. 
and um, and that's one of the massive advantages of uh, of both seas and aquariums at the moment is while we're seeing lots and lots of natural populations really suffering um, for various reasons, many of which are anthropogenic impacts in the first place. Uh, but while we're seeing these natural populations struggle, um, what zoos and aquariums can often provide is stability for uh, the continu continuation of that animal. So if you can breed an animal in captivity, you can basically ensure that that animal is not going to go extinct. Um, and that's incredibly important. And zoos, uh, zoos around the world have fantastic conservation breeding programs that reintroduce animals into the wild and, and basically help supplement um, pre-existing populations and yeah there's there's lots of fantastic work it's actually a whole field of biology mm. is, is conservation breeding and it's a very very fine art um, <laughs> it, it really it really is no I, I know it is it is it's funny the way you phrase that though i like it um i think and, and i'll you know we'll, we'll put a link up to this but one of the kind of like key examples and and success stories of the earliest kind of fine arts of conservation breeding, as Rose so eloquently put it, is the California condor, which I believe it was the San Diego Zoo Conservation Society. One of the best zoos in the world, by the way. Yeah, there you go. little tidbit of information. Um, well, I suppose that's all subjective, isn't it? Well, no, I mean in terms of uh, in terms of conservation efforts. Oh, and all right. It's, it's an incredibly progressive zoo. Ah, cool. Yeah, of course it is. It's in San Diego. Californians. Um, anyway, so uh, the California condor was on the brink of extinction in the wild, I believe. And they had this kind of innovative idea to um, basically uh, use their inbreeding zoo program to take some of the, the eggs from different clutches. Are they called clutches? I'm not a bird person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like sea turtles. And um, basically made sure that the uh, remaining population, the, the eggs that might normally uh, hatch and one of them would survive, had, you know, double that survival rate. So both eggs would survive because they'd incubate it and raise it in a controlled environment that mimicked the natural environment. Um, so, you know, and, and the, the ingenious ways, like Rose said, like, these, these people really, they put time and effort and a lot of science behind making sure that these programs go on in a ethical and moral way but also a successful way and it's not always successful and it's not always understood why it's not successful but it's i, I still think it is definitely a benefit to it it's definitely a pro yeah um, and yeah it, it, exactly and and in our increasingly stressed global ecosystem we yes really really need to keep keep on top of our conservation breeding um to basically try and minimize the extinctions we're experiencing um if, if you guys listening don't know, uh, we're experiencing an incredibly high extinction rate uh, of wild animals currently. Um, you know, uh, some people have called it the beginning of a mass extinction event. Yeah, um, the next mass, mass extinction event. Yeah, that's a, that's a fairly sensationalist comment, but it's not necessarily inaccurate. Um, so it's something to be aware of. Con conservation breeding programs are a, a more important um currently than they've ever been in the past mm. yes two things about that one there is i think i think discovery channel produced it i don't remember but there's that new um uh, investigative journalism documentary coming out called racing extinction it's probably already out actually and they basically make that argument um the other thing is that un unlike plants 
and other, Fish. shall we say, seed orientated. Uh, uh, do you know where I'm going with this? No, yeah. I have no, so, no idea. I forget where it is, but they have a giant bunker in. Is it in the Netherlands? Oh, the seed bank. Yes. Yeah, that's wicked. Yes, isn't it? it's so cool. Do you wanna? I'm I'm gonna butcher the explanation. I'm gonna put <laughs> a link and a picture, and you should definitely check it out because it's insane. But Ro, can you give a rough? Uh, I think so. I'm not. Uh, again, like like yourself, I I don't think I'm entirely. Um, educated on the seed bank but the basic principle of it is that they're trying to um, collect and preserve seeds from all of the flora so all of the plants in the world that they can collect seeds from um, and what this just creates is a essentially a gene bank but also a seed bank um, which means that any of these plants that might potentially get extinct are always going to have um, have their seeds saved so that they could be um, propagated again in future and it's, it's basically a massive global effort to preserve biodiversity in plants across the earth and plant biodiversity is is you know one of the most important things for global carbon cycles um, and, and various other things that that are essential essential for human survival so it's a really cool project it's a really interesting project really cool. um, and super successful so far yeah and not only that but the the actual like seed bank itself is like it's carved into the side of a mountain, as far as I remember. It's it's pretty dramatic looking, but it's it's pretty cool. Unfortunately, you can't really do a Noah's Ark type scenario with animals. I suppose you could take some DNA samples and, and store those, but even that, you know, has its own. You're losing genetic diversity unless you take many, many, many samples of different animals. So, so far, let's just do a quick recap. The pros we have education yep and public engagement yep and science and conservation so that that's what we have going for kind of zoos and aquarium thus far yeah um, and like you said with the amount of pressure and stressors and uh, kind of these infringements on the natural environment that we tend to do whether it's for animal agriculture or for oil exploration, exploration, you know, whatever the reason is, we are encroaching on a lot more land, and uh, the need for it is is greater. I, I should say. Yeah. Um, um, just sorry. Yeah, and but however, there are cons to zoos and aquariums. Um, one of the first ones that I'd like to start with, I think, is probably the most obvious one, which is where are these animals that are populating zoos being sourced from? And in many cases, perhaps not in in uh, high-profile zoos in Western countries or developed countries, um, but in a lot of other zoos around the world, a lot of these animals are, are essentially poached from the wild or captured from the wild, not necessarily legally. Um, so, for example, taking taking a tiger out of the wild um, yeah, or capturing a shark and, and sending it to an aquarium. So um, one thing that's really important is, is the act of sourcing these animals for the zoos in the first place having a detrimental impact on the wild populations um, and there's certainly cases where it is, especially in extremely rare animals. So it's important to understand uh, with zoos that you're choosing to visit or, or zoos that you're discussing how they acquired certain animals. That is an interesting thing, um, especially with the saltwater aquarium trade. And not only that, but I think it's, it's more for the home saltwater aquarium enthusiast. I know there was some controversy in the past they have strict uh, kind of i mean make the laws more strict as far as i believe but for the longest time they would be taking potentially rare uh, not necessarily endangered but rare fish um or critters whatever off off of these reefs 
and kind of just using them in the aquarium trade without permission, uh, without any kind of forethought to the future of this particular species in that ecosystem. Then they started breeding those, uh, so they didn't have to take them off the reef, but then you you just like have a giant warehouse full of this particular species, and they'd be shipped all over the world, and a lot of them would die along the way, and it's just, it's a very interesting industry to look at. Yeah, I mean, I, and also a lot of these saltwater species for the um, consumer aquarium market are, are very, very difficult to breed in captivity, so have to be um, have to be taken for the wild to to provide for the consumer demand. I think um, uh, on a slightly comical note, the film Finding Nemo tackles this problem. <laughs> um, Interesting, and it actually does a reasonable job in in terms of tackling it. You know, so um, mm. so check it out. <laughs> if you're like the only person that hasn't seen Finding Nemo. Yes. Yes. Finding Dory's coming out for those of you that are a fan. Don't ask me when. It's either 2017 or 2018. Anyway. Um, so yes. So <laughs> Khan, definitely um, the source of these animals. Uh, where, where they're getting them from. Um, and not only that, but their history. So um, even if they're bred in captivity, that's, that's a whole other issue. For those of you that saw Blackfish... Definitely a film with an agenda, um, but definitely raised some important points where, you know, if you're, especially with SeaWorld and, you know, the whole, well, I, sh I shouldn't necessarily put brand names on it, but if you're going to keep in captivity these large mammals that are, you know, as far as we understand, either have very advanced sensory perception or intelligence, you need to understand how the process of, I suppose, breeding works. And, and I think Blackfish broke that down really well, that um, they had... This is definitely the wrong way to phrase it, but the meanest fish, or the meanest, sorry, the meanest orca uh, bred, and maybe the most abused, or you know, however you want to do it, the traumatized one uh, bred continuously, and so you kind of had more aggressive ones, as far as I recall, um, continuously bred down the, it, you know, it's, it's the same logic, I would say, as when they were breeding dogs to kind of highlight and select for certain traits, um, they just did it without thinking. So they weren't thinking of what traits they were selecting when they were breeding these orcas. Uh, interesting film, uh, as I said, so you can check that out if you're interested. Um, definitely worth a watch. Compelling. Has an agenda, but what doesn't? Especially documentaries. Um, <laughs> yeah, that brings us actually quite neatly onto one of the other cons of zoos, or, or I say con, but it's just the ethics and the morality of all of it. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, you're choosing to keep an animal in captivity, um, which would never otherwise be confined. Uh, and is that right? And as humans, should we be doing that in the first place? And I feel like that's a really open question, and there's there's two sides to that argument. But yeah, yeah. And for this, actually, I'd love uh, for you, the listener, to um, hit me up either at Twitter at another Fogel, or at the Imposter Podcast at Gmail dot com, or you can put it on the Facebook page as well. Um, just type in the Imposter Podcast on Facebook because I'd like to know what you think about zoos and aquariums um i guess to that question row i'd say you know though going to the zoo as a kid and as an adult you know it is cool because you get to see animals that you probably wouldn't normally see um but you do also have the problem of you know animals that are used to traveling long distances are used to having a very large area to patrol um and inhabit that are confined to relatively small areas and so you just kind of get unhappy looking animals you know like and just kind of imagine that unhappy excuse me that unhappy tiger or lion that's just sitting on a rock being like 
well, this was fun. Or that leper that's kind of just <laughs> like, all right, what's next? I played with this ball. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, for many sentient animals... Um, Sorry, and just just as a caveat, I know I was just anthropomorphizing by saying sad looking, but you can infer a little bit, I think. But sorry, go on. Sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. For many sentient animals, being being kept in captivity is going to have a massive negative mental effect on them. You know, and that that's been demonstrated in uh, in big cats. That's certainly been demonstrated in apes. Yeah, yeah. As well as now, obviously, in in cetaceans, so whales, um, and, and dolphins. Yeah. Correct. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> Go on. So I, I keep interrupting. I'm, I'm very sad. I feel like I'm coming across as impatient little kid. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, but yeah, basically, yeah, there's 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 evidence that these animals are having a, essentially a pretty bad time in captivity. Um, and you know, we need to look at ourselves and 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 say, is this really necessary? Um, mm. And and that's a, that's a huge question. Is do the uh, do the benefits of these captive environments outweigh the ethical cost? Yeah, and, and again, I think that while there are definitely benefits to zoos, as we've spoken about, do we need as many zoos as there are to have those benefits? Maybe having a zoo in every city isn't, or an aquarium in every city isn't the right idea. You know, maybe having it as an attraction, it depends what approach you want. If you're talking for a conservation approach, then I would say maybe that is you know, a detractor. If you're talking about the education and the public involvement in kind of the natural world, even though it is a controlled environment, then it might be better to have, you know, the zoos in every city like they're most of the time are. That said, and I don't know about guidelines and laws and regulations and how enforced they are, but, you know, you certainly do see some, some zoos that are in poor shape. And it's amazing that they can still stay open with. But then, what are you going to do with those animals? You're going to euthanize them all? Like, is that better? Yeah, I mean, great point. I think one of the one of the huge things is just, you know, they shouldn't be there in the first place. But obviously, we're in a situation now where they where they are. I guess stop populating these zoos uh, that are not having a positive effect on conservation and science and education, and eventually start shutting them down. Yeah. I well, don't, I don't are we going on record? Are you, Roe Allen, saying that you want to <laughs> shut down all the zoos effectively? Ah, did I say all the zoos? No. <laughs> I said Ooh. some zoos. Um, no, I, I definitely, you know, I definitely agree with what you're saying that we certainly don't need as many zoos and aquariums as we currently have. Um, so that's something that we can start working on. Yeah. Well, it's it is a thought. I mean, would having them be a, a rare commodity make them more enticing for people like would you travel to a specific city just to go to that zoo just to go to that aquarium which some people do because the quality of the zoos and aquariums are better in certain places um you mentioned the san diego there's monterey bay you know um there's there's a few great aquariums and zoos spread across the world that said yeah i mean it is it is it's a tough question and I, I, again, I'd be curious to know what, what other people think and your own comments and, and concerns about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so top level, what do you think about zoos uh, and aquariums? General consensus, I would say public zoos and aquariums. That's a whole other thing, public and private ones. But public zoos and aquariums at this point, because I think so many people are disconnected with the natural environment, and have such a low regard 
for the environment and, and for its inhabitants and don't see as well how animals in the animal kingdom and ecosystems and environment are connected to them. It's so, it's so disconnected, those two, that I think that trumps, at this point, the, the, the cons enough that education and outreach is more important at, at this point, at this juncture in time. Maybe in the future people will care more so it won't be as needed, people will be able to allocate resources, spend more money, or, or want to spend more money to go to an ecotourism event or, or uh, operation. But at this point, I think that the pros outweigh the cons. How about yourself? Um, oh yeah, I really agree with that. I think the the pros at this point in time definitely outweigh the cons. I think there are many zoos around the world which are having no positive impact at all, yeah. and ideally they should be shut down. Um, yeah. But that becomes that becomes a matter of national policy in certain areas. But yeah, I think zoos are incredibly important education tools, important scientific platforms really important for conservation breeding and, and the longevity of, of certain species in this threatening time for them. And I think it's just important to be aware of the zoos that you're visiting and look at them, make sure that they're the zoos that are being really progressive um, and try and support those ones. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Again, spending that extra hour on research, learning and educating yourself. Don't just rely on formats like this podcast or nature documentaries, praise be to SDA, um, to, to kind of let you know do your do your own research and find out which which zoos in your area which aquariums in your area are doing more good than bad um vote with your dollars vote with your dollars or your pounds if you're from the civilized world ouch no no we we uh citizens of the united states of america invented the english language of america Anyway, <laughs> if, if you are from the United States and you ever want to know how to really piss off an English person, just say that, uh, that we invented the English language. They don't take it as a joke. Even though they love deadpan comedy, they don't understand that deadpan joke. It's hilarious. Anyway, so anything else to add, Ro? That was, that was the only tangent I'd like to say, I think. Uh, yeah, that was, yeah, that was, we were pretty, pretty good on pretty, pretty good, good on the tangents. Yeah, I think well done, well done, us. Well, well done. <laughs> give lacking, give lacking yourself a round. Stand up, Dad. Give Pat, yourself Pat a bow. The, <laughs> the squad. Um, no, yeah, that was wicked. And yeah, do your research. Do your research. All right, cool. Well, everyone, uh, thanks again for tuning in. We'll post uh, most of the stuff that we talked about on the blog. So check that out if you like any supplementary information. Other than that, like I've mentioned, you can tweet me at Another Fogel. Uh, check out the Facebook page, The Imposter Podcast, um, and or email me with any questions, concerns, comments at theimposterpodcast at gmail.com. Anything you'd like to promote, Ro? Um, your beautiful face. No, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy. Just support the podcast, it's wicked. Thank you. That's very kind, sir. That's very kind. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time.